your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Snap back, Heinrich holding, holding, Throw looking, it. throws it toward the end. Oh, so yes. Got a man out there, Wyatt Lewer makes a catch. Touchdown. <laughs> Wyatt Lewer gets back to back catches, and that ties the game at 20. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Okay, let's see here on my laptop. I can close out my NJIT notes, my Northeastern notes. Hey, bear with me here, folks. And my Arkansas notes. All right. They're gone. Hey, we're here. Sports Highly. First show in about five days because of Husker baseball, which ended last night. A heroic effort by the boys down in Fayetteville. 2-2 tie, two outs, nobody on in the eighth. And then it uh, got away from Nebraska. The Razorbacks, the number one team in the country, ended up scoring four times in the bottom of the eighth. And that was enough. They win 6-2, win the regional, and move on to the Supers in Nebraska's season. A magical one that included a Big Ten championship comes to an end. We're going to talk a lot about that here in hour number one. Ben and I will get into it, and then we'll bring in the third member of our broadcast team, Nick Hanley, to get his thoughts about this season. It was so much fun for all of us to be a part of, even though it started late. It didn't have non-conference games, but the way this team came together was really something special, and we'll all kind of uh, pontificate about what we saw over the last three months for Husker baseball. Next hour, Greg Smith, Hale Varsity, will be here. He was in attendance last Friday night for the Friday Night Lights camp out of Memorial Stadium, the first of two that will be out there. There are four open camps to the uh, fans, both Friday Night Lights. The the big boy camp, the lineman camp, is also open to the public. And another one as well, the 7-on-7 camp will be open as well. So some fun times. We'll get what Greg viewed, what he observed. Nebraska did pick up a commit Yesterday, a tight end out of Minnesota, and we'll get his thoughts on that. He handles all the recruiting angles for Hale Varsity. So Greg going to be with us in the second hour of the program. Okay, now that the baseball season is over, it's time for us to flip into our 7-on-7, our first edition of that coming your way tonight. Looking forward to hearing what topics are out there. Uh, We kind of transition away from beyond the headlines and go to 7-on-7, so we'll have that for you tonight in hour number two. And it's Tuesday, so Top Ten Tuesday coming back. We're going to talk about... With Lexi Sun coming back for another year of Husker Volleyball, we're going to talk about athletes that had maybe their, had a great finish to their careers down through the history of sports. Who really had a, who went out with a bang in their athletic achievements? We'll have that list for you coming up in the third hour of the program. And as always, phone lines open and available for you at 531-500-4686, either with a call or a text. We also have time to tell you to buckle up and put that phone down. It's a reminder from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. Ben, uh, two straight years, Nebraska has been dismissed from a regional after kind of getting themselves into the into uh, the winner's bracket side. In 2019, down in Oklahoma City, they beat UConn on day one and then had their hearts ripped out by Oklahoma State in the Saturday night game where Nebraska had a three-run lead going to the ninth inning. And then the Cowboys rallied for four, including the three-run home run in the top of the ninth to uh, steal that one away for the Big Red. And then the season came to an end the next day. And then this year here in Fayetteville, knew the challenge was going to be large. The number one overall seed in the country in Arkansas, they've been that way for more than two months of the college baseball season. It's one of the most raucous crowds in the country, over 11,000. The hog pen's always wild. They were getting after Mojo Haggy, Jackson Hallmark, uh, pretty pretty good most of the weekend down there. And and yet here, here were the Huskers going toe-for-toe toe with that team. They dropped the Saturday night game, which is so pivotal to win the regional 5-1. to one. They come back, win two on Sunday, eliminate NJIT, and then beat the Razorbacks 5-3 to force last night. And, man, we were fired up because out of the gate, the Huskers score. The Roscom homer, it's 2 nothing Nebraska going to the bottom of the third, going to the fifth, bottom of the fifth, it's 2 nothing Nebraska. And then the Razorbacks came fighting back. Give me your thought, the difference in your mentality from two years ago in Oklahoma City to what you felt like last night when the game ended. Yeah, it's, you know, the biggest thing is to me how the mentality of the team 
changed from 2019 to this year. You know, the team really um, loved each other. They loved playing with each other, and they believed in each other. And not to say that they didn't in 2019, but I think 2019 helped curve that mentality. And we talked about that a lot all year um, for those players that were a part of that team. What type of experience that would bring into the next regional they did not back down from Arkansas. And if there was ever one uh, team in the country to to back down to, Arkansas would be that, right? Think about how much praise the Razorbacks have gotten from the national media over the last really three months of the season. Um, they've been the national number one seed for, I think, 11 weeks in a row now. And no one really gave Nebraska a chance or anybody in this regional a chance and uh, starting Saturday night, Nebraska gave them a dogfight, and they just let, you know, a couple of innings slip away from them with walks and wild pitches. And unfortunately, that ended up being Nebraska's undoing um, yesterday on Monday night. I think when I look at how last night's game went, Greg, I think it went exactly how it needed to go for Nebraska. Scoring early, throwing the first punch, and just trying to hold on. I mean, because... Arkansas is now, I think it's 34-0 when leading after six innings. So you had to have a lead going in to the late innings. You knew Dave Van Horn was going to go to Kevin Copps early. And it sounds like from hearing from the Arkansas camp, the original plan was for him to get three innings. He did not go three innings. He went seven. Um, he threw, <laughs> what, 175 pitches over the weekend. And it, it didn't appear that they were ever close to taking him out of the game. Wicklander started playing a little bit of catch in the bullpen, but it was Kevin Copps' game. Um, I thought Nebraska had a couple of chances to add to their lead. Spencer Schwellenbach hits a ball well into center field that would have been worth a run with two outs. Great play by their center fielder to take that run away. Then Nebraska had runners on the corners again with Schwellenbach at the plate. I think it was in the fifth and grounded out to short. Those are two big opportunities, and, and you don't want to keep putting on Schwelly, but he just happened to be at the plate both times. That, you know, you were hoping to get a Griffin Everett-type hit that you had on Saturday night, or excuse me, Sunday night, that would give you the cushion necessary. Because what happened was your lead was stuck at 2 nothing, and after the Opitz home run, all the beliefs swung to their dugout. And now they were only one swing away of getting it tied. And that's exactly what happened the next inning with Robert Moore. So... You know, you look at how the thing unfolded, and um, it's unfortunate how it ended. I've, I've been hearing a lot today that Nebraska ran out of pitching. I, I, I'm not buying into that. I Jake Buns has been absolutely nails for this team all year. He has been he has been Nebraska's best, most reliable bullpen arm outside of Spencer Schwellenbach all season long. I know he did not have the first two good days um, on the mound in Fayetteville that you would have hoped. But as we talked about the night before with Schwellenbach, who was out of gas in the ninth inning. I mean, he was just pitching on fumes at that point. If you were going to go down, you want to go down with your best on the mound. And Spencer Schwellenbach that night was the best that we had. I believe that Jake Buns was the best Nebraska had that night. Looking at what Nebraska had left in the bullpen, tell me who, who has the track record and had the proof of getting Nebraska out of a sticky situation besides Jake Buns. I, 27 was the call. It was the only call. And unfortunately, Jake just didn't have it for a third straight night. And I can live with that because Nebraska's not in this situation without Jake Buns. And my heart breaks for him. He's hurting more than anybody out there because he, know, he feels like he let his team down. But, Greg, the game went exactly how it needed to go for Nebraska. You were just hoping for maybe one or two more big hits. They had opportunities for exactly two more hits with runners on base uh, against the best pitcher in the country. And unfortunately, they didn't come. And, you know, we, we said all, all third game in that series that Arkansas is due for some big swings. They're way too good of a team, way too good of offense to hold down for 27 outs without really any damage. And unfortunately, for Nebraska, it took until the 26th inning <laughs> for that to happen. And, uh, and unfortunately, their season's over. But oddly enough, you and I felt okay leaving the ballpark. Of course, it was sad, you know, seeing those players walk out of the locker room and, you know, seeing the pain on Coach Bolt's face, doing his last interview, hurting for his kids. That's never fun. But, you know, you start to have the minutes dwindle away when we're walking to the car and, you know, waiting to 
get out of the parking lot and kind of assess what, what had just happened, you and I felt oddly okay because we know and everybody knows that has followed the team all year. They left their hearts on the field that night, and uh, they've got absolutely nothing to hang their heads about. They, uh, they made a national statement for what they did, and, and it was just an unbelievable effort from the team. Yeah, I think Spencer Swellenbach tweeted this out today. He says, folks, we, we left it all on the field, and I don't think anybody could argue that. And I had, I had some Arkansas people tell me that, you know, hey, I've been to every home game for the Razorbacks this year. I've seen multiple SEC teams come through here. You guys are the best team we've seen here all year long. And, and that's high praise. Dave Van Horn in his postgame press conference said, I hate playing Nebraska. I don't want to play Nebraska. I don't want to schedule Nebraska. He said, in my eyes, that was a 7, 8, or 9 national seed that we played this weekend. And that's really high praise. And this goes back to, I think, our disappointment a week ago about being put in the Fayetteville Regional. It wasn't that we didn't think we could compete. We knew we could compete. But we knew it was going to be hard, really hard to beat them because they have been the clear-cut best team in the country all year long. And, boy, there was a handful of other regionals that you're like, man, we probably could have made our way through that field or that field or this field and still be playing this week in a Super. And then you're like, man, wouldn't it have been fun to play Arkansas at TD Ameritrade in Omaha in a College World Series game? With with that on the line, that would have been Amazing. That would have been a blast. And we'll see. We'll see where Arkansas goes from here. They're going to have their hands full. NC State is who they play next. That's a hot baseball team. That's who they will host this weekend in the Super Regional that will get underway on Friday. Half the four of the Supers get going Friday. The other four start on Saturday. So uh, the, the field of 16 is now set. But terrific year. And you and I were, were saying this on our postgame show that last night, the, the result of last night was not going to diminish in our in our minds, what that team did over the last three months and what Will Bolt has set in place for this program that, in, in, you know, instead of looking at last night as the end, I, I think I, I'm choosing to look at it as the beginning of where Will Bolt's taking this program to go to. And, and I have a feeling a lot of Husker fans feel the same way about that. Greg Jarrett, Ben McLaughlin with you. And we're going to add a third member to the round table here tonight as we discuss the conclusion of the Oscar baseball season from last night, Nick Hanley, who you heard on the calls with us throughout the spring. And Nick, great to have you with us tonight. Um, I, I really wanted to get you on just to get your take on on what you viewed over the weekend, and and then we'll get deeper into what we all witnessed over the last three months. What was your takeaway from the Fayetteville Regional? I think more than anything, it's hard not to just feel a sense of pride. I think the, you know, people like, like you and myself and, and Ben and any of us that had a radio platform felt that, that Tuesday after Memorial Day, we could maybe go on the airwaves and sort of stake the, the claim that Nebraska kind of got jobbed by the NCAA committee. And, and, and that was something that, you know, of course we, we felt strongly about, and I'm sure somewhere with the student athletes in this baseball team, they probably felt it to some degree, but they weren't going to let it impact the way that they played yet. We felt we knew that about this team, but I just thought this, this last weekend was pure validation on not only the talent of this team, but overall more the, the toughness. I just, I felt that that was absolutely on display Sunday when they're, they're up one to nothing. And then you have the, the wild pitch and then the, the air throw two run score bomb Walker stadium. You guys were there. It just explodes. And that would have undone so many good baseball teams. But what I, what I came away with is thinking that not only is this team a good quality team with talent, but there is that toughness that we saw so many times. But you always wondered, is it just because it's Big Ten competition and maybe, maybe it, that doesn't apply the same type of pressure that uh, you know an Arkansas team and a bomb stadium would? And, and you saw it right there Sunday night. Now, obviously, last night doesn't go the, the way we had hoped. But, uh, again, I just kind of go back with with, with pride. I, I think you, you look at what Will has built in such a short time, and, and given the way the roster was when Darren stepped aside, you, you just felt like this thing w was really on stable ground. And I think it's just taken that huge step forward. And I just I don't know how anybody couldn't be excited about what's to come. This question's for both of you. I was on a handful of Arkansas stations before the regional started, and you know that one of the common questions was, "Well, you know, what, what was the turning point in the season, or, or when, you know, when did Nebraska really take off?" And I'm going to morph the question into something that ended up happening in the regional to 
at what point in the season did you guys realize that this team was a team that was going to buck the trend of Nebraska baseball and teams past, meaning not falling into the same patterns? We talk about the toughness, the grit, you know, and I, I'm thinking back to um, a couple of games, particularly early. Greg, first, I think you and I started yeah. right away in Purdue, right? I mean, they lose the the first game and in, in, uh, getting walked off and then just ripped apart the Boilers the next three. What is there a moment that yeah. you guys realized that this team was different than some of the other teams we've been around? To me, it was two different ones, and, and I was with bo- both you guys. Uh, one one time and one the other. Uh, the, the Iowa series, to me, was one of the mm-hmm. first moments. Huskers lose the last two in Minneapolis. Then we lose Friday to a really good pitcher. The Wallace is really good at Iowa. And you're like, okay, three straight. Iowa's been a bad place for Nebraska down through the years. And they come back and win Saturday, Sunday. And you're going, oh, okay, that's better. And then we knew we had a struggling Minnesota team the next week. And you're like, okay, we could really pile this on. And then the second time was, Ben, you and I go to Champaign. And we take care of business there, winning that series as well. And you're like, wow, okay, we just checked off Iowa and Illinois. This thing could get pretty good. So for me, those were the two times by early April, in my eyes anyway, I was pretty convinced this is a pretty solid baseball team. Maybe, maybe Nick's a lot different than that. Greg, I would the first one definitely, because how many times have we gone to a road series, especially in Iowa, and that was my first time actually being in Iowa. But I, I know that that's been the house of horrors for Nebraska baseball for a very long time. Uh, you lose that first game and you get shut out. Uh, and Trent Wallace is outstanding Big Ten pitcher of the year. We've seen many times where that can kind of dictate the rest of the series, where there's just no punch left. And not only did they come out, but they proved that that night was a one-off. That I mean, they, they outslugged Iowa. And what was sort of uh, an intimidating affair, just given the wind, had nothing to do with like you know the stadium or the team you're playing, but the wind, knowing that any fly ball that was elevated could be the difference. So, getting out of that and outlasting Iowa after getting shut out that Friday night, I think that was a big one. And for me, this is one that I was with Ben. In fact, I kind of joked uh, about it with Ben on social media that I'll never forget that that Monday in Piscataway, the 13 innings in Piscataway, you could write a book on that game. I mean, that thing had so many opportunities for Nebraska to succumb to a long weekend of baseball, to a, a Rutgers team that for whatever reason never seemed to sort of, you know, back off the fight with Nebraska after Nebraska clobbered them the day before. And the amount of situations that Nebraska could get out of knowing that if they could win that game, they were going to go 3-1 and one in that series where we were all hoping, gosh, I just hope they can go 2-2 two and two, given the fact they just got swept by Rutgers. I, I thought not only what they showed that weekend, but what they showed in those 13 innings alone proved to me that there was just something different about this team. I think yeah, we're round. That, go ahead, that, Ben. I think the thing that was most impressive about that all this this whole thing is, like, we mentioned, like, four different parts to the season – and I think every week for a while, they're like five weeks in a row, I interviewed a player, and we've done this long enough to know that for all the ups that there are in a season, there's always downs. And the most impressive part to me about the whole year was how this team showed up every weekend with a fresh mindset and not let the week before, good or bad, dictate how they played. They did not play well against Rutgers at home and got swept and there was a lot of worry for how much good said about Nebraska that week being in the polls for the first time. That did a 180, and everyone was quick to trash this team and said, "Yeah, here, here they go, typical Huskers, you know, get some attention." And they blow it. We and we we saw it. We saw it that next weekend that Nick was talking about. We did it. It did not affect them at all. And that to me was the most impressive part was there was no carryover, good or bad, from the week. And I think that to me was the most impressive part. And it really I think helped them for what they were to go through in the regional. Yeah, and guys, I think there's a, a defining quality uh, about this team that you saw throughout the year. And I'll use the, the most recent example I can come up with. And, and again, it, you know, it's, it's the regional. And, uh, Greg, I was talking to you about this on my show on Monday. And that was the this, this team's – and it kind of goes back to Ben's point their, – their ability to put things in the rear view. But what has always been talked about, whether you're, you're discussing football and what makes a good quarterback or what makes a good shortstop after they make an error. It's all about having a short memory. And that moment where Kyle Perry has the wild pitch and then the errant throw on the way back, the two-run score, place explodes – 
that place and that game is ready to take off in favor of Arkansas. So many pitchers, so many different good baseball players with plenty of experience would have just crumbled in that scene. And in that moment, Kyle Perry is able to keep his emotions in check just enough to get the next batter, strikes him out, has some pleasantries that he says into his glove, and you limit the damage. You put your team in a position to where even though you're down, you didn't let that snowball roll down the hill. You limited the damage, and again, you had the short memory, and this team collectively had the short memory, and they were able to battle back and eventually win that game. Yeah, that was a really, really impressive moment of the weekend was what you just laid out there. There, Again, we're roundtabling a, a discussion at the end of the Husker baseball season. Greg Sharp, Ben McLaughlin, Nick Hanley, the three guys that uh, had the pleasure of being behind the mic throughout the season this year for Husker baseball. Guys, I want to kind of turn this to – and, Nick, you referenced it earlier about the selection Monday in Nebraska not – you know, having to go to Arkansas. And, and, you know, Dave Van Horn last night after the game says, boy, in my eyes, Nebraska should have been a 7, 8, or a 9 seed. And I think we all have seen enough Big Ten baseball over the years to know the quality of play in the Big Ten has been so much better than it was five, six, seven, eight years ago. Are are we getting to the point now where, and Ben and I talked about this on the way up, Nick, today, that the Big Ten champion, in my eyes, ought to be right there every year to either host or just barely on the outside of hosting because I think the quality of play in the league is good enough for that. And, Ben, I know you were on some Arkansas stations last week and you were talking about the great pitching that we've seen throughout the year, whether it be Indiana staff, Ohio State staff, Wallace at Iowa. We could go on down the line. Uh, guys who, who've got great velocity and great movement and are going to be drafted. And I think the SEC people kind of roll their eyes like, nah, they don't have that kind of quality pitching in the Big Ten. But we do. And, and I really think, guys, it's we're, we're getting to the point where the Big Ten champ ought to be right there, if not in every year, to be a host. Yeah. yeah. And, and Go ahead, you Nick. Know, I don't, okay, sorry. Yeah, and, and I don't know if you agree with me too, Ben, but the, the part that I, I kind of discussed today too was, I think there's a little national notoriety with a couple of teams in the Big Ten now. If if you go back to what Michigan did two years ago, being in the championship series in a game away from winning a national title, uh, the the Kyle Schwarber uh, Indiana team that made the CWS, that outstanding Illinois team that if they don't run into Vanderbilt, they have a shot at getting to Omaha. You're starting to see teams from the Big Ten show up not only in the postseason, but either in a super regional or making their way to Omaha. And I think after this year, I feel like Nebraska has sort of reemerged as one of those, those college baseball brands of, oh, yeah, there's that a little bit of that team that we saw in the early 2000s that's very familiar that Will Bolt has. Michigan, we already know they, what they were able to do at the College World Series. We all remember Indiana being at the College World Series. And I think – the more you get a little bit of those teams to have that national notoriety and you, you just kind of go in and assuming Indiana's now a household baseball name in the Big Ten. Michigan's a household name in the Big Ten. Nebraska's a household name in the Big Ten. And you're absolutely right about the, the pitching that we've seen. I mean, heck, Maryland, who always seems to never be lack, lacking talent with their baseball team and the, and the arms that they bring in in Ohio State, I think the more of those teams that are kind of staples – other than what would be, you know, a crazy year where it's kind of a dog eat dog conference, and I know we're all kind of hoping that that wouldn't be the case this year, playing a conference only that everybody kind of beat up on each other and nobody would, you know, have a record better than you know five games above above five hundred. But I think you're kind of seeing sort of those those teams establish themselves a little bit more, and and I think Nebraska is very much now. Uh, into that category of a, a a team that's getting national notoriety. And I think the more teams that can establish themselves like that, like a Nebraska, a Michigan, and an Indiana, based on what they've done recently, I think that's going to help the conference. But, guys, as you know, the conference has to do their part in supporting this product too. And And this year they did not do that. Yeah, 100%. To be honest with you guys, I'm worried. I mean, I don't know what else the Big Ten can do um, in the eyes of – of people that follow the sport, and I'm not talking your laissez-faire fan. I'm talking about your selection committees, you know, your national writers, people that you know supposedly does dedicate their their life to college baseball. I don't know what else the Big Ten could do. I I thought 2019 was enough to give the Big Ten the benefit of the doubt. Not not only did you have Michigan, 
you know, one game away from a national championship, but you had the number three overall pick in the draft come from the Big Ten Conference and Max Meyer. So, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of thought, okay, well, you know, this this is what the Big Ten needed to to kind of establish themselves, and clearly they didn't get the benefit of the doubt. And this is, of course, going back to Selection Monday, and, you know, I, I had some people snipe at me on Twitter saying, oh, you don't think the Huskers can go compete. That's not what this is about. I knew the Huskers could compete with Arkansas, yeah. but they belonged competing with Arkansas in Omaha or in a Super Regional. That's where they belong competing with them. They, they belong competing in Eugene or Dallas, Fort Worth, or Tucson, Arizona, or Greenville, South Carolina. That's where they belong competing, and I think they proved that this weekend. And I've heard some people say, you know, it's the Big Ten scheduling's fault. Well, let's, let's flip the – okay, I heard the, – the comment was Big Ten – was automatically disqualified themselves from hosting because they didn't play conference games. Okay, let's use that same frame of reference, that same knowledge, and let's switch conferences. If the SEC announced, we're only playing conference games, we're only (laughs) going to play each other, we're going to play 44 conference games, and that's it. Are you taking them off the table of hosting? No. Why? Because they have that national notoriety. I'm not saying the Big Ten is the SEC. I'm not saying that. But you can't pick and choose when you're going to apply logic to one conference and not the other. The Big Ten is a Power Five conference. Are they as good as the SEC? No, they're not. But you can't say just because Notre Dame played four non-conference games, that automatically puts them in the running to host a regional. I'm not buying that logic at all. And that's what worries me is I don't know what else the Big Ten has to do. I guess maybe Nebraska beating Arkansas makes me a little bit more comfortable. But I don't know that this league's ever going to get the benefit of the doubt until – you know, either one, they win a national championship or two, what Nick's saying, you know, you've got a Big Ten commissioner that's going on your conference tournament and talking about how much, you know, they're invested into Big Ten baseball. But it's I don't know. I'm worried. I, I would think they've done enough by now to earn some some national. I don't even want to say respect. I just want to say the benefit of the doubt. But I think we're still, you know, a few years away from getting that. Yeah. All right, going to leave with this. Let's, let's kind of look ahead to 2022, and, and I want everybody's thoughts on this. We love the, the core that's coming back for this team. They're very, I know the coaches are very excited about the class that they signed in November, but we're living in a day and age, guys, of the transfer portal in college sports. So if you were Will Bolt, Jeff Christie, Lance Harvell, and you start looking at names that are going to start popping up in the coming weeks from the transfer portal. Are there a, is there a position, a spot that maybe you would look to go add somebody? And obviously, if you can get an arm, you get an arm. But if let's just go with the the other eight that are out on the on the diamond. Is there a spot, a position you think that they could really maybe go help themselves with the transfer portal? Ben, let's start with you. I, I think we need to go get an outfielder. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I love the fact that Jackson and Joe have been so vocal about Garrett Anglum and Tyler Palmer and Luke Sartori, who was awesome seeing him get a hit in his first Husker at bat. I think those guys have been more than worthy of giving themselves a chance. But Luke's already been banged up. Um, you know, these, these guys are, you know, going to have to be thrown into the fire. And right now you're looking at replacing maybe all three spots. So give me a guy with some experience, maybe a little thump in the bat, um, and you know a guy that can could be a staple in your lineup that has played a lot of outfield and, and kind of you know take that under your wing. You think about all the great center fielders we've had in the last five, six, seven years. I mean, even further back than that. I mean, you go back to Rich Sanguinetti even before then, um, DJ Balfane and Ryan Bolt, and I mean obviously Jackson Hallmark. There's been a bunch of them, and I you know I would love to get a guy out there with some experience that can kind of take a hold of you know, some of these new kids under their wing. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with that. I, I look at the infield and I look at the guys that are just underclassmen that have already made their their name known pretty well. I mean, Max Anderson, Big Ten freshman of the year, and I, I love Bryce Matthews, and, and I just think Bryce Matthews has so, so many more big games in front of him in Husker uniform. But the outfield, even with – the young guys that are there, and that doesn't mean these guys can't also have big careers for Nebraska and they can make their name. I mean, they were they were playing behind super seniors and they were playing behind guys that were, you know, absolutely huge to the success of this team this year. And I think they're chopping at the bit to, to get out there and, and not rebuild that position but reload it. So they're going to have their opportunity. But I just I always feel like outfield depth to kind of piggyback off Ben's point is just so important because it, it doesn't just lend itself to the defense and to what you're doing at the plate. But I mean, guys that can provide some speed guys that, as we know, this team 
likes to be aggressive on the base path. And if you can get in a late inning situation where somebody gets on and you can bring one of those quick outfielders that maybe isn't playing as much defensively but can give you a boost on the base path, you know, guys like that, that can just kind of fit this overall style of play that Will Bold and this coaching staff want to see to be successful. I think you start with the outfield. And, you know, even with some of the, the incoming guys, and there's some studs at pretty much every position, another position that I'd always kind of keep my eye on as far as any veterans would, would be catcher. And, again, not just to do any catching, but also to maybe provide a bat in the lineup. And I love Griffin Everett, and I love some of the guys that they have coming in. But, I mean, if you do find somebody that's experienced that can provide some more – more as a, as a guy that can provide some pop in the lineup, and maybe he's a utility-type uh, person that you can rely on at one of the corners in the infield if, if need be. That's not something I would prioritize, but if there was another position outside of the outfield, maybe I'm looking in that area too. Very good. Boys, been a pleasure. Both of you were, were fantastic all year long. I know our audience agrees, and uh, th- this was fun. Let's let's uh, keep this thing rolling. It's, uh, let's get more regionals. Maybe maybe the next time it's at Haymarket Park and everybody here can soak all that up. But great stuff. Great to hear from both of you. Nick, appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Talk to you, talk to you later. We always look forward to chatting with Greg Smith of Hale Varsity. Good evening, sir. How are you tonight? I am very well. Busy, busy but good. How are you? <laughs> yeah, you are busy. I mean, finally, right? We finally have opened the gates with this June 1st lifting of the veil for college athletes to go visit campuses. I mean, it's like a, we, we flipped a switch, didn't we, in this whole deal? Yeah, absolutely. It, it went from, you know, we were kind of anticipating this and, and everybody was excited. Um, and then it comes back in full force and you realize just how crazy things can get. It's been busy in so many different ways um, with all of the camps and visits and private workouts and satellite camps. Um, it, it's a fun time for a Husker football recruiter. I'm glad you mentioned the private workouts, Greg. Is that is that new? I just don't re- remember some of that happening in the past or maybe it just didn't get the attention that it's being given now. No, but it's a brand new rule, and they did that just basically because of the pandemic of the last year. The NCAA um, decided that they would allow for this summer where guys can go and do these one-on-one workouts um, with a coaching staff on their campus and their facilities. Um, it seems to be a really big hit with both prospects and with coaches and recruiting staff. Um, and so we'll see if the NCAA ends up keeping this around. I think they should because it's resulted in a handful of scholarships just from Nebraska, and I've noticed a bunch uh, just around the country. Well, you just make, gave it the kiss of death. If we all think it's a good idea, they probably don't, right? I mean, that's kind, yeah, of, the way, that's kind, of, the, that's kind of the way they work a little bit there. All right, we wanted to get you on for a number of reasons, but one, I, I want to go back to Friday. Tell me what that was like. What did you view? Anybody stand out to you as you were at the Friday Night Lights camp last week? Yeah, it, it was fun to be back out there for that camp, and I think that that's really kind of the signature event for you know that fans could attend for for Husker recruiting for the summer. It's kind of that unofficial kickoff to, to the summer, right? Um, and so there were a number of prospects out there. We mentioned those private workouts took a little bit of the bite out of the Friday Night Lights camp, just because so many of the guys that would have stood out at that camp ended up doing those private workouts. But one guy that I think you kind of have to start with, or two, um, one 2023 tight end Benjamin Brommer, who's already committed. For for the 23 uh, class out of Pierce, Nebraska. Uh, he had a really good camp, um, as did another, another 2023 prospect, um, Gunnar Gatola, uh, offensive lineman right here at Lincoln from Lincoln Southeast, who picked up a offer from the Huskers right after that camp. Um, they, they both really stood out and did a good job. Everybody wants Greg to know about quarterbacks, and, and I know there were a couple that were on campus over the weekend. Lay it out for me. What, what, what does that look like right now, and what did you think the coaches saw, and, and how did the young men enjoy their visit to Lincoln? Yeah, I think that the, the big thing with quarterback right now is they got, I think, their number one target at the, at the position. Richard Torres, uh, 6'6 quarterback out of San Antonio, Texas, was on campus this weekend for an official visit. I think he came in Thursday um, and left on Saturday, and the Huskers really like him. He likes the Huskers. Um, he's a kid that's been kind of under-recruited and underrated. I actually spoke with his coach earlier today who said that he thinks that the big thing is, is he just didn't get seen. Um, they haven't had a lot of big recruits, especially quarterback recruits, in that area, so he just didn't get a chance to get seen. Um, he went to TCU um, this week for, for a camp, and then will also take an official visit to Kansas State. I think Kansas State and Nebraska are going to be his final two choices, um, and he could be making a decision here pretty soon. 6'6"? Six, six? Is that right? 6'6", six, six, 210, oh, yeah. Holy cow, that's a big kid. 
Yeah, and a kid that is his coach said that he doesn't he plays he's like a three or four sport athlete, so he doesn't get a lot of time to lift weights. So if you've seen the pictures of him, he's kind of wiry. Uh, but his coach thinks that once he's able to you know focus on strength and conditioning, especially with a guy like Coach Duvall um, and Coach Ellis with nutrition, that he'll be able to pack on some muscle. Um, so that's that's a really intriguing prospect, and just from that little bit, you can see why the coaches um, really like the long term projection there. Wow. Well, I, I know that MJ Morris committed to. Oh, I think it was NC State a week or so ago. He had been in the Huskers. He had the Huskers in his final three. But you believe Torres is one. If they had a two on their list, who do you think their two in that quarterback spot it would be? Yeah, I think AJ Blanco, a kid out of Hawaii, would be the would be the number two quarterback at this point. The the interesting thing is here is that Bianco is um, scheduled to come out to Nebraska for a June 18th official visit, um, and so you know how these things go. If, if Torres is feeling the squeeze mm-hmm. a little bit, knowing that another quarterback is coming in, he may go ahead and pull the trigger, and that's part of why I said that I think we'll know one way or the other before that visit happens on June 18th. Um, and, but I think that those guys are the one and two on the board right now. Very good. Getting busy with Greg Smith from Hale Varsity here on Sports Nightly. The, fr- the first Friday night camp was this past week. Uh, pretty good turnout. Were there, how, what, what was the fan turnout like for that thing? Oh, it was probably 500 to 1,000 fans out there. It was a warm night. Um, yeah. It probably was not the same amount as it had been in the past. I think as, as things kind of open up, people have a lot of options um, on how to spend, you know, kind of these first nights out. Um, so I'll be curious on what partic- what fan participation is like for that second one because I think the one on the 18th weekend um, will also be just as big because they'll also then have the pipeline camp that next day as well. Very good. Uh, one kid that did – pick Nebraska after the weekend was Chase Androff, the tight end from Lakeville, Minnesota. Give me a thumbnail on Chase and and, uh, the thoughts about him now being uh, at least a committed guy to this 2022 class. Yeah, Chase played it a little coy over the weekend when he was kind of talking to me about his visit. Um, and it's always interesting because you could tell that he was excited, but it, it felt like he might have been holding back. And it turns out that was the case uh, because he loved everything that he saw. He had a connection to Nebraska uh, because his sister had actually come here for a year. And so she had known all about all the academics and his family knew that coming in. Um, but he got to see everything on the football side of things as well and was really blown away and happy with what he saw. Um, he's probably 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, about two. 20 um, another really good frame the another unique thing about him that his school high school doesn't use wide receivers so they do a lot of ground and pound a lot of running the ball so you definitely if you pop his huddle tape on you'll see a lot of him blocking uh, but I also think he's got some athleticism to be a threat in the passing game as well do you think that will do it for the tight end position if, if that commit holds for this class it just seems like with the group that they brought in this past year that that they probably have about enough bodies in that room don't they Yes, I, w- I would agree with that. I think that especially with, with him being more of a blocker, Chase Androff, yeah. too, it's a good complement to a couple of the guys that they brought in last year, namely Fedoni and Carney. Um, Rollins more of a balanced guy, but more probably more of a blocker, too. Um, and so you've, also, you've got a good mixture of skills in that room. I think that probably does it at tight end. You just can't take that many again because numbers are going to start to get tight here in a, in a hurry. Yeah, it sounds like the way you describe him, it sounds like Travis Vokalek a little bit, more of that right. kind of a body type. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Is that. That's the way that they'll probably try and build him up um, to be that size and to be that type of player. All right, I, I'm sure you hear it because I'm hearing it. People are nervous that there's only three commits, two until yesterday, and then Chase makes three for the 2022 class. Two-parter. Are you nervous about it? And, and, and what do you tell Husker fans? They're sitting there going, ah, oh, man, we need to be adding some numbers to this class. I am not nervous. What I what I've had, and I have heard this quite a bit. What I've been telling people is that let's get through this month specifically, but really about mid July, um, and see where the Huskers are. I think, as you saw from just this this first visit weekend, um, these visits just do wonders for Nebraska's recruiting. When they get people here on campus, um, it really shoots them up, guys. List, and we always hear the same thing about um, the Huskers making a big impression, the coaches being genuine, and the place just being so much different than even they expected and better than expected um i think they're gonna have probably double digit commits by the time we get to mid-july and if we're not there uh then he probably can start to worry a little bit love it i hope you're right man that'd be fantastic let me me kind of bring this full circle we talked about how the flip the switch flipped june one with 
play, you know, prospective student athletes being able to come on campus. But the coaches can now leave as well. How, how active has Nebraska's staff been on getting out and away from Lincoln and out to see people here in the last seven, eight days? Yeah, they've, they've been very active. I know Travis Fisher was down at the Florida State Mega Camp. Uh, Ryan Held was down in Florida early last week and in Georgia as well. I think he's somewhere today um, as well. Mario Verdusco over the weekend was out um, at the SMU Mega Camp down in Dallas. So they've been plenty active on that. And part of it, it's just that there's so many kids um, that need to be seen because they haven't been able to in a year. And it, and it spans mm-hmm. all the classes. It, it is the 2022 class, but then also future class as well uh kids are in high school they're still growing and getting better um so the more eyes you can get on guys even early in the process uh the better it'll be for the huskers very good hey is the is the yearbook out yet it, it will be out soon in a couple of weeks it'll, it'll be out great um i, I soccer i have a, an article on recruiting and kind of the idea of borderless <laughs> recruiting um and how really uh, schools will go anywhere for talent at this point you you have you know regions and borders don't exist anymore so i kind of dove into that um which, which would be a really good article oh very good can't wait to see that i'm gonna hold you to it greg you're saying double digits by july i'm gonna hold you to that that that's that's a, <laughs> i hope you're i really hope you're right i know husker fans do too because they get nervous you hear it i hear it they get nervous when there's not a lot of people in this class but i think you're probably right i think with all this activity now it's going to really pick up greg we appreciate it. always love having you come on uh, have a great summer and i know you're going to be plenty busy all right thanks thanks for having me on talk to you soon let's us launch into our series seven on seven let's do it It's summer. The Huskers are sharpening their skills with 7-on-7 drills. We're keeping Greg and Ben in shape during the offseason with some 7-on-7 of our own. Seven topics. A seven-nation army couldn't hold me back. From sports. From Manning, seven touchdown passes. To pop culture. I never joke about my work, double seven. It's time to go 7-on-7 on Sports Nightly. That's right, the uh, long-anticipated return of 7-on-7. Tonight's been a full calendar year. I think the last topic we had uh, was Rudy Gobert complaining about the uh, COVID tip line uh, in the bubble, I think was was one of the last things. I remember looking at that, and and yeah, that was a little bit of an irony coming there from the Frenchman. But uh, yeah, glad to get back. I hope you guys are ready. I hope you guys are prepared for this. Always. Seven great topics cracked up that Mick and I uh, whipped together. We'll just go ahead and jump into it. Um, this is a, a good one to start out with. Uh, Navy team captain and 2021 class president Cameron Kinley had signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as an undrafted rookie. However, the Secretary of the Navy denied his request to delay his military service in order to play in the NFL. The rub salt in the wound for Kinley. Four other service academy grads this year, John Radigan from West Point, as well as a trio of Air Force Academy grads, are being allowed to pursue their professional career before they commission. Kinley released a statement expressing his disappointment in SecNav's decision, but uh, does he have a right to complain, or should he have known what he was signing up for? So they they signed off on some, but not him. Well, so it's different academies. So the Navy has their Navy. own thing. So the other academies uh, said, yes, you can, yeah. but the Navy said, no, sir. Hmm. <laughs> well, I know uh, Keenan Reynolds, the quarterback there, mm-hmm. who set the rushing touchdown record, got some type of like exemption or something from that. That was a weird story. I don't remember the exact details, but I, I think he ended up signing with the Ravens. Um, I don't think he's still on the roster. For a so two-year period, from 2017 to 2019, they had an exception in place that was, uh, I believe, approved by the Trump administration. Uh, but now that that's right. gone. Yep. So, okay. So, yeah. Well, clearly it well, fell under that umbrella. So, I, it, it, it's odd to me that the branches are different. That the military branches are treating this. You'd think that there would be some uniformity, right, with that. So. If, if the Air Force or the Army's letting guys, they're waving that, but the Navy's not. That that it seems, that seems odd to me. But I, I, I don't know their full reasoning, and I have not read the statement. But it does seem odd to me. Yeah. Let me let me get some clarification on this. So did he? This was this was a football player. Yes, defensive back, team captain. So he, I'm I'm assuming was there on a to Navy on a football scholarship, correct? 
presumably. I mean, everyone there is, you know, you, they get their school paid for regardless. So, uh, but it helps if you're an athlete. It helps to get admitted he was easier. Re- he was recruited there yes. to play football. If you're an athlete, it's easier to get there. I my, my point was, this isn't just uh, a guy who signed up, you know, for, for the Naval Academy. He, he, he was there for the reason he, Correct. I don't want to say the only reason he went there was to play football, but he went there because of football. Correct. I, f- I feel like there needs to be something in place. If, if Navy is openly recruiting a player, I feel like there needs – and they're providing him out that opportunity to display his talents. I understand that there are fulfillments and things that you have to, you know, uh, you're obligated to f- fulfill while you, you're, you're in attendance. But I feel like if you're there playing football and you're given an opportunity professionally to play football – then that sh- that should be allowed. That's my opinion. Yeah. Well, as the my grandfather was in the Navy, and he's, he would say the Navy being the most traditional branch, it's two hundred years of tradition unhampered by progress. Uh, they have <laughs> they have a way of of trying to you know keep things as traditional as possible. And but, I understand that. I I get it. I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna die on the hill. But you know, <laughs> gun to my head, you're making me give an answer. That's my answer. No, no, that's fair. That is fair. That is fair. I, I think uh, in Korea you have to get like an Olympic medal to get out of your uh, mm. required well, they have military. Mani- they have mandatory yeah. service, yes. Right. Uh, so moving on, gentlemen, Sunday Hi, night. Howdy. How's it going, fellas? Good. Good. So on Sunday night, YouTuber Logan Paul boxed Floyd, Maywe- Floyd Mayweather in an exhibition match in Miami. It was a highly anticipated event, especially on social media. But fans weren't exactly impressed with what they saw. Mayweather came into the match boasting a perfect 50-0 record, but despite landing numerous clean blows, was unable to knock out Paul in eight rounds. Does the fact that Paul was able to go the distance with Mayweather and the spectacle of boxing a YouTube star diminish Floyd's reputation at all? If not, why not? I feel like Floyd's reputation is he goes the distance in his fights. I mean, I feel like it was that way with Pacquiao. Um, It was that way with McGregor. Um, I don't know. I just feel like that's just kind of his reputation, right? He knows how to manipulate the scoring system and, you know, get his points when he needs them. And I, to be honest, I didn't expect that fight going any differently. It would be, it would have been, look, as, as much as I want to make fun of Logan Paul, which is, I, I really want to make fun of him. Um, <laughs> you know, I, he, he's a legit boxer. I mean, he's big. He had what, 40 pounds on Floyd. Yep. Like, he would have been hard to put on his rear. He would have been hard to knock out. And so, you know, I think Floyd played it safe. And I, you know, I, I didn't expect that fight going any different, excuse me, differently than it did. I, me too. Me, me neither. I, I thought because Floyd was just out there probably collect to get check. some flash, collect a check, look flashy. And, yeah, I mean, when you're looking flashy and you're really not trying to get – maybe if he if – he, deeply wanted to knock him out maybe he could have so i don't think it diminishes his thing but i think it probably raises logan paul's like man he hung in there with a former multi-time world champion and didn't get knocked out but again he also had 40 pounds and a lot of reach on floyd as well well the clear move for floyd next to become an obnoxious youtuber got to get on his own turf so <laughs> that's the move next uh moving on uh it's no secret of course that pj golfers brooks kepka and bryson DeChambeau aren't exactly the best of friends and during the memorial tournament this past weekend DeShambo was heckled by a number of fans calling him brooksy and some were even removed from the grounds in response kepka posted a video on social media offering these fans uh whose time was quote cut short a free case of uh of an, an adult beverage beer. <laughs> that is yeah beer. Of, of beer uh <laughs> so what's the uh is this the pettiest rivalry you guys think you've seen in recent memory between athletes <laughs> It it is kind of gotten juicy, it, and it probably if you step back, yeah, it it is probably petty what they're doing. I think a lot of people are getting a kick out of this deal, but I I really am having a hard time thinking of something else that might rival it. To, to be honest with yeah. you, with what's been going on, I mean, it's just it has taken off since that PGA post round interview that Kepka had, where he rolled his eyes and got halted because Bryson was walking behind him and sputtering whatever Bryson sputters. Uh, yeah, it, it's petty, I, and I honestly, I, I'm, I'm at a loss right now to come up with something that might be the equivalent of it in the sports world recently. Yeah, well, how much you? Uh, maybe I'll ask this: How much you guys taunt your least favorite athlete? I guess for Ben, it probably is, probably is Bryson DeChambeau. So maybe Ben was one of the guys getting after him, calling Brooks. I like wish, it. I wish I was. I was in uh, Fayetteville, so I was not <laughs> close to the state of Ohio. Oh, you were, but, but uh, 
I absolutely love it. I think it's fantastic. And, you know, Bryson pulled the whole rent-free in your head card, which, by the way, if that's your go-to line anymore, you got to find something new. I mean, that, that was funny and clever the first 78 times you heard it. Um, you know, I think Bryson, you know, for, for throwing that line out and then complaining to tournament officials about people saying mean things to him and trying to get guys kicked out, um, and then seeing Kepka reward those uh, for their efforts, you know, you you tell me who's living in whose head. I mean, you, <laughs> you you come out here and say it's not a big deal, and then he, well, the thing about it is he was saying he loves it. He's like, I love it. I think it's great. And then he went and tattled on him and got him out of here, got him ejected. So <laughs> right, you know, I think he he put on a show for the camera, and then his true color showed when he said, "No, get these guys out of here." Kepka's like, "All right, deal. Hey, enjoy enjoy uh, twelve rounds or twenty four rounds on me." <laughs> It's going to be interesting when the first time they're paired together, and they will be at some point in time. They're going to be paired in a tournament together, and they might be both on the Ryder Cup team yeah. coming up here later this fall with their teammates. I mean, <laughs> this thing's going to this thing's going to go away anytime soon. I hope it doesn't. Golf These guys are relatively young guys. I hope it. I hope it goes on for another fifteen years. They should redo the the Ryder Cup with like you know how they do the NBA All Star Game. It's Team Brooks versus Team DeChambeau. You know, pick their own team. And golf fans have been looking forward to this this matchup between them before any of this even happened, just because they hate each other. So it's yeah. supernova now. All right, we'll move on to baseball. Dallas Baptist's Andrew Benefield hit a go-ahead grand slam in the bottom of the seventh against the Oklahoma State Cowboys during the Fort Worth Regional on Monday. While Benefield was admiring his handiwork, the home plate umpire took off his mask and screamed at Benefield and implored him to start running the base pass. Do you think Benefield deserved to soak in the moment, or was the umpire correct to get after him for his behavior? All right. I had a feeling this one was coming. <laughs> Here's where I stand. Umpire has no right to tell that dude to get going to first base, in my opinion. However, I do think the little home run celebrations we got going on right now are way over the top. I mean, we're seeing pimp jobs like you've never seen before <laughs> right now in college, and it, it's making me a little uncomfortable. You, you make a big hit like that, celebrate, do your little Sammy hop. You can give me a bat flip if you want. But the the kid from Tennessee's home run, when he took like 47 seconds to run the bases, he was like halfway between third and home, stopped, literally chucked his helmet across the diamond <laughs> and like just out of control, absolutely out of control. But, you know, it is what it is. I, I don't think it's an umpire's place to, to get in the middle of that. I, I, we've crossed a line, I think. I think Ben's right. I think we've gone too far the other way. The, you love the pure excitement. You love the utter joy that you see in postseason collegiate play, whether it's baseball or softball, and you see some of it at the uh, College World Series for softball that's going on in Oklahoma City right now. But you can't, you, you, you can't go over the top. The, the guy's home run trot in Tennessee was just a joke. That's ridiculous. Come on. Get around the bases and, and, and do that. So um, I... But you say it's not the umpire's play. Somebody's got to somebody's got to try to put some discipline in, right? I mean, it's a little bit the umpire's job to yeah. to try to tone it down a little bit. I mean, I'm old, I'm old fashioned. I feel like the discipline comes from the pit, from the pitcher the next day. But I we, mean, we don't do that anymore. You can't. You're not I'm saying to that's do what that. I'm saying. Hey, so I agree with Ben in that. A pimp job used to be a really exciting thing and talked about because it was frowned upon and it wouldn't happen very often and it would only happen in a big game where they were going back and forth and plunking each other and such. It was, the, the rarity is what makes it exciting. Yeah, that, that was pretty fired up, though. It was like it definitely put him sure in his was. place. He, he got going yeah. after the ump took his mask off. Uh, yeah. But we shall move on. Like Here, hold on. One more comment. Sure. Go watch Warren Morris's home run from LSU. I mean, you cannot have a bigger situation for a home run, and he didn't do any of that, and it what didn't take away from his moment. 90? 99? 98? Nine, yeah, ish. That's yeah. somewhere in that neighborhood. Now, there you go. But, yeah, he didn't do any of that, and that didn't mm -hmm. take away from his moment. He was still excited. He won the championship with the home run. He didn't stop halfway between third and home. He chucking hel chuck his helmet out to second base. Yeah, go to the Johnny United School. You win the championship and just uh, just walk off. <laughs> no celebration <laughs> at all. All right, uh, got a got a college football topic for you guys. The next few weeks, the playoff committee is going to hold a pair of meetings determining the future of the playoff. This will you know involve television contracts and all that jazz. But uh, according to Yahoo Sports, 
What's on the table is expanding the field to 12 teams. It's been gaining momentum among all the officials involved with the process. You heard about eight teams, but is a dozen team playoff a good idea? Or what would be yeah. the ideal? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, and it's being driven by the SEC. They want more of their teams in it. And, and they think if you have like six at-larges, if you give every Power Five conference a bid, and then you give a bid to a non-Power 5 conference, there's your six, and then you have six at-larges. They believe, and they're probably right, that of those six, they're going to probably get half. So then all of a sudden, you're going to have four, maybe five SEC teams in the playoff, more exposure for them. So they're really pushing hard for 12. I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not a huge expand the playoff guy as it is. I know it's going to happen, so I've kind of conceded that it's going to happen. But I'm okay if it stops at eight. The five... Power fives get auto, get autos, and then you have three at larges. I'm I'm fine with eight. I'm not going to be right. It's probably going to twelve. Let's just fast forward to the end of the movie and make it a thirty-two team playoff and be done with it. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever this is brought up, my favorite video ever. You guys have probably seen it, where the Onion uh, had a oh, yeah, joke about the, the the NCAA expanding March Madness to include like yeah. four thousand teams. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I always think about with this. Like, oh, the the you know the Xenon Hair School. They forgot to get yeah. their application and they just missed out. Let's let's make our regular season one game. You play your rival and then let's start the tournament. Let's just <laughs> let's just let everybody in. Let's just do it. Give everybody a chance to win it. Yeah, because then we're going to be pissed that the that the thirteenth team got left out, <laughs> and then the Mountain West is going to be mad that they only got one team in. Then Notre Dame's going to be going, "Hey, we had a bad season. We were seven and four. What's what's go- we need it? We need in. Let's expand it to twenty four. Then let's go to thirty two, and then let's just make everybody eligible. Let's yeah. just start the year drawing a number out of a hat, and that's your seed, and let's go. <laughs> and one of the best three teams are still going to win the championship. Yeah, it's a good thing we're not cynical about the NCAA at all. You know, we just have a lot of faith in the in the playoff committee and all their all their wonders. So. Good stuff. All right, let's move on to basketball. The NBA has fined Sixers president of basketball operations, Daryl Morey, $75,000 for a two-word tweet. Morey tweeted, join him, last week in a response to a screenshot of Steph Curry's Instagram post praising his brother, Sixers guard Seth Curry, who had just scored a career-high 30 points against the Wizards. The league determined that Morey's tweet violated anti-tampering rules. Is this an overreaction from the NBA, or should Maury have known better? Hmm. <laughs> well, Maury does know better to start that uh, yes. because he gets fined all the time for stuff <laughs> like that. I feel like because it's in the public eye, he's going to get his wrist slapped. But we know there's so much worse of tampering you know, 100%. That's, like, that's like busting a dude for a traffic ticket when you know that there's drugs being sold around the corner. Like that's Jay that's, basic, that, that's basically what it's like. So, yeah, yeah. Slap his wrist. He did it in public, whatever. Um, you know, let's get these secret meetings. Let's get the, you know, the agents and these uh, vacations and all the stuff with all the recruiting going on. Let's let that slide. But hey, but since everybody that has an Instagram account could have saw that, whatever. Come on, I mean, come on. I mean, I, I think it's kind of silly. I think he, yeah, you need to probably reprimand him in some way, but don't make this too big of a deal. Come on. There's yeah. so much worse happening. By the way, Daryl Morey, people might remember, he was the guy who got in trouble last year uh, for d- denouncing, or he got denounced by the Chinese consul in Houston because he tweeted a stand with Hong Kong. And yep. even the owner of the Rockets uh, got after him because he used to be the GM with Houston. So, yeah, he's not the first time he's gotten in trouble with tweeting. Uh, which uh, will finish us out here with another NBA topic. Uh, despite Brooklyn's big win over Milwaukee on Monday, Kevin Durant didn't seem too happy. In the postgame interview, Katie was asked if he thought he'd ever play as good as he is right now following that debilitating Achilles injury he'd picked up a while back, and Durant fired back, quote, is that a real question? Why do you want me to say to that? Of course I did. Uh, he also went after ESPN's Jay Williams on Twitter when Williams claimed Durant got in his face at a Christmas party of all places because Williams had compared him to Giannis Antetokounmpo. Apparently, Durant did not like that. Uh, Durant responded on Twitter saying, that is a bleeping lie. Jay Williams can never speak for me ever. Uh, is Katie just misunderstood here, or does he just sound like a jerk? I don't know. Yeah, what's what's happened to him? I mean, he was such a good kid when he played at Texas, and... Now he's just salty. It's like he's a bitter guy. I, I don't know. I, I he he's changed. He he has. I, it's puzzling to see him make those kind of comments because there's this 
there was this image of him that he's a really good dude, helpful guy in the community. He did great things in Oklahoma City when he was at the Thunder, helping on underprivileged areas of that city. And now now he's turned into kind of a curmudgeon, right? I mean, it's just bizarre. I don't know what's happened to him. Katie hates everything regarding the media. <laughs> everything. Yeah, you're So, right. no, it doesn't shock me. But, yeah, you're right, Greg. He's... He, you know, we think Tim's a cynic. I mean, this dude, this dude hates everything and, and putting words in his mouth and just can't stand it. Yeah, so yeah. Um, not surprising at all. A- anything, anything, anything the media ever says with Kevin Durant in his mouth, he's going to hate. So yeah, well, and he was the one. Remember, he had a burner account, and he would actually he actually got in trouble for he was tweeting uh, from like this troll Twitter account, but he forgot to log out of it one day and was tweeting. <laughs> yeah. It was just bad, just weird. Yeah, he's he's changed. Pretty yeah. unlikable athlete right now, to be honest. I know. And it's just, golly. It's, and we kind of said similar things last week about LeBron. I mean, it's just like, come on. We want to love you guys. We want it because you're such marvelous athletes and players. And then you just go and you look look for ways to alienate people. It's just crazy. Yep, and that'll bring it in to seven on seven. Good. Well done, boys. Good job. Well, that's going to put a wrap on tonight's show. Ben, we gave him the the last hour off. He's fighting a head cold, wasn't feeling the best, so he battled through two. But he, we had to go to the pen. We had to go to the bullpen and, and send Ben to the showers. And so Tim uh, ably stepped in to help out. Mick was part of our top ten list tonight as well. Appreciate those guys being a part of this one. And certainly appreciate you dialing us up each and every night here on Sports Island. Have a great night. Good night.